But, you know, there's other places I could live in the world. But, you know, I've traveled so much of the world, man. But Canada is the best place on earth to live, like, especially with a family. It's, yeah. it's a really great place to live. Okay, wait. Time. Time out. Time out. Like, are, are you in, to say that. Are you in trouble, Roger, with immigration? Like, you... <laughs> no, hold no, on. Bro. Hold on. Trinidad, like, you've been all over the world. Um, yeah. You and I have similar skin tones. Yeah. Um. Our our bl- unlike Greg, our blood runs hot. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, come on, seriously. Well, yo, this is it, right? <laughs> this is the real deal, bro. All right. All I don't right. got to worry about like uh, people shooting up my kid's school. Okay. That's, fair. Okay. That's, all that's right. It's a big thing. All right. All right. Uh, a lot of the 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 islands on the planet are sinking underwater. Like Indonesia is the fastest sinking place on earth. Every year there's hundred year events in Trinidad and the Caribbean now like flooding like crazy. So uh, that eliminates all the lowest elevations globally, which yeah. is a lot of amazing places currently. <laughs> so, um, and in terms of, I don't think I would live in Europe. Europe is really cool and fun to visit, but living in Europe is like hot mess, bro. Yeah. So fine, fine. We're in Canada, bro. Canada's the best place on earth to live. I'm telling you. Fine, fine. My sister just moved to uh, just north of San Diego. Yeah, so beautiful. Uh, it's beautiful up there, man. Yeah, yeah. Gorgeous. So she's been sharing pictures of working outside under palm trees, and and I'm sort of looking outside, and it's it's white and it's cold and it's. Ah. It's nothing, bro. You know what? When she sends you the picture of the forest fires, then you'll be like, see, here's some snow. Or the earthquakes, like the earthquake just mash it. It's like, yo, here's some snow. I could just shovel it and I'm straight. Put on a jacket and I'm good. Fair enough. There's that. There's that, you know. Hi, the following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find him at 1177 Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery. What's up, everybody? This is Roger Mooking here. I'm a chef and recording artist. Welcome to the music. Welcome, welcome. Roger, it's so great to have you on. I'm so so excited to have you on with us today. I really Thanks. appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, um, one of the things that I wanted to start off with, I mean, we've had uh, Chin join us previously as a guest on Welcome to the Music, which was a great chat. We're so excited to have you on board. First thing I want to start off, I want to, I want to thank you for Funkmobile. I mean, you and everybody mm. have written so many great songs <laughs> over the years, but I'm telling you, when that song comes on, you can't not move your ass. So thank you. Oh, thank you, man. You know, that was like a late night. Back then, I I was so broke that I couldn't even take, I couldn't even jump the back of the TTC. (laughs) (laughs) So we would, I would do like shows. We would be doing shows at like the Cameron House and I would like walk home every day down by the Esplanade and walk. I'd be like four in the morning walking around all over downtown. So one night I like walked home. It was like five in the morning after like warehouse party and this the lyrics just hit me boom chin had the melody and the lyrics just started so like uh, you hear the beginning of the song i say yo i'll I'll sing it to you when i wake up better it's because chin called me like seven in the morning and i'm like yo just let me finish sleeping and then i'll call you back and i'll, and I'll sing you the lyrics you know <laughs> that's 
awesome. That's awesome. Anyway, great groove. Great groove. Always. Yeah. Um, congrats on edibles. Oh, thank you, man. I had a lot of fun making that. One. Yeah. Great EP. Um, and, and so I have to ask you this. Yeah. Um, because, uh, you know, I, I'm not a foodie like Greg is, uh, Greg is a huge foodie. And I remember a while ago saying, we got to get Roger on. We got to get Roger. I said, who's Roger? He goes, Oh, you don't know who Roger is. Do you watch this show? Do you want that show? I said, Greg, dude, I, and Greg knows if we meet up before a concert, he's finding some fancy place to go eat or, yeah. or some nice, not might not be fancy, fancy. but it'll be nice. And I'm thinking, yeah. oh, dude, there's a burger joint just down the street. Let's just go to, <laughs> let's just go to Harvey's and pick up something, you know? Um, who eats at Harvey's? Who eats at Harvey's? I don't know anybody eat at Harvey's. Oh, sorry, That's like Arby's. It's like, how does Arby's stand? <laughs> have you ever seen anybody going to Arby's? Or have any of your friends ever been like, yo, let's go hit the Arby's? <laughs> when, when, when we were in our 20s? When we were in our 20s? Sure. Now you look back, you go, oh, man. Yeah. Oh. That is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but so I wanted to ask you, like you are like most people today, if they're not of our vintage, yeah. uh, most people today know you as 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 a quote unquote celebrity chef. Um, yeah. You know, you're on television and everything. Why? Why are you still making music? Because I wake up in the middle of the night with songs. That's that's really what it is, dog. I sleep, you know, I sleep pretty good. Um, but you know, inevitably once a week, twice a week, I, I hear a song in my sleep and then I realize, Oh snap, I never heard that song ever before. And so I it's like, okay, I gotta, I gotta track this somehow. And this is a gift. You know, I look at these things like mm. gifts, right. And you got to act on the gifts. You know what I mean? Cause I realized like not everybody wakes up with songs in their head, like full songs, you know? So I wake up and I, get on my memos and I track this, the bass line goes, boom, 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 boom. the drums go like boom, boom, boom. the keyboard is like this. And I sing out all the lines. And then I got like mad voice memos, bro. <laughs> so many voice. And then when I get a chance to go in the studio, I, I take those memos and I just start dropping them, you know? Um, so really I make this, the records because they make themselves in my head. And like I said, it's a gift. I feel obligated to, to respect the gift. You know, we're just like, traversing through the universe and these things are floating about and sometimes we have access to them you know if you're if you have that gift so huh. i have access to it so i feel obligated to honor that very interesting and and do and so do you take it any further like do you say you know what i've i've i did music i i came into uh you know i became a chef and i'm doing well with that do you ever have conversations in your head or with with maybe some of your friends or family that maybe I'm, maybe I'm going to go back into like back into music, like Roger Mookie, you know, DJ or MC or, you know, hook up with some buddies and, 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 you know, start, you know, version two of maximum definitive. Like what (laughs) is, is is the calling that strong yet? Well, the thing is I built this kind of like hybrid life where I'm able to, you know, do food, 
professionally and I'm able to do records professionally. Um, and I'm not beholden to one or the other, you know, cause you know, mm. once you're, once you get down to doing music, like full time, full time, like that, the record company's like, okay, we need a hit. And then we need a, this, oh, boy, and, we need yeah. a and then the A&R person is, has no idea about music is like, yo, telling you to do this. And then the president needs this. And then the, this, and the marketing department needs this. And the publicity department needs this. And then the, 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 I never got into music to deal with all of these uh, these accoutrements. You know, it's just like I said, I wake up with songs in my head yeah. and I want to throw the put them out. So I'm I'm now built this place where I can make whatever I want. <laughs> Like you listen to my first record, Soul Food, then you listen to Feedback, and then you hear Eat Your Words, and now you hear Edibles. Every record is completely different. The mm-hmm. soundscape, the the even how I use my voice, the melodies, some are more sing-songy, some have some rock elements to it. So, you know, if I was locked down with a record company like that in that way, they would never let you do that. You know, it's like, yo, Nicki Minaj, you blew up with this. You got to do 10 more of this is, you know, and it's like, yeah. I, I don't want to be beholden to that. So I'm really happy doing what I'm doing now. Um, if more people hear the music and like it, that's amazing. If people call and say they want to do some shows, yo, I have fun doing shows. I'm down with it. Um, but I never want to be beholden to uh, some some infrastructure for for outlet of creativity this is like just like it keeps me sane to be honest I yeah would not be a sane person without music man that's right. and i would i would think too having having like diversifying what you do not diversifying what you do but having various things that you do allows yeah. you the freedom to be able to do that yeah, right, have absolutely. That view to, so you're not having to go with a label, not having to be beholden to what they. And you know, I've you. I've done my first three records with Warner Music, and yeah. and but with those, I just made them. They liked them. They licensed them. They bought yeah. them. Final masters, you know. So it's not like a and people in the studio and all this. Screw that, man! I've been there. It's like yeah, not yeah. not fun, and you don't get to make what you love, what you want to make, right? So yeah, no, I just uh, I do it. Honestly, I do it because I love it. And, you know, you hear people say, I would be doing this if I was broke. This is what it is, man. I do it when I'm broke, when I'm not broke. This is what I do. (laughs) That's cool. That's that's cool. One of the things that I wanted. So if like what I really want to know is you you come from a family, you know, born in Trinidad and grew up in Edmonton. You know, your family's in the restaurant business. I mean, eventually you go there. How do you in that within that family and that culture and the, the you know, Chinese Caribbean background and the foods and everything that you talk about and you know, your influences. How, how do you get into music? Like how do, going back to Edmonton and the trio and like, how do you, how do you get into that? Well, my dad in Trinidad was always a massive record collector. He probably had one of the largest record collections in Trinidad, no joke. And it was everything from Santana to Venezuelan Parang music to, uh, Simon and Garfunkel, Calypso, like everything, everything, right? So in our house would be cooking food and listening to records. And so I grew up in this environment, which is great music, Santana playing in the background, Sugar Aloes playing in the background. And I guess I absorbed the food and I absorbed the music. When I was like, um, just before I was a teenager, preteen, 
my brother's uh, five years older than me. He was into breakdancing. And so they used to practice in the basement. And my brother used to also, because we had a good record collection still, uh, he would mix and he became a DJ. So he would DJ and breakdance. And so around me, I, I picked up the breakdancing because I want to be like my bigger brother and listen to the music that they were listening to. And that was like UTFO and Raxan Shante and... Um, fat boys and you know just all this like the legends in that era run dmc so i grew up listening to hip-hop because of my brother um and then i started branching off listening to my own like going into krs1 and public enemy and all that stuff the roots and all that stuff um yeah so i just by osmosis naturally and just the environment man our house was just food and music that was it bro just like 24 7 so we just i just dove into that and then when my brother started djing then i picked it up and then i started rapping along and i was like oh i can rap along with this that's cool you know some of the friends could do that and i started writing my own raps and then before you awards and stuff you know (laughs) (laughs) what um how did the name MC Mystic come about? So I used to play around with a bunch of different names. My first name ever was Kid Crazy when I was breakdancing. Um, and then I had a few different names, but uh, one of the dancers in our group at that time, I was in a, uh, there was a different version of Maximum Definitive and I was a solo artist, but we always always used to roll together, right? And do a lot of shows together. So one of our dancers in, in Maximum Definitive, his name was Verb. He's like, yo, man, you're just mystical. Your lyrics is mystical, you know? So um, that's, that should be your name, Mystic. And it just stuck. MC Mystic <laughs> just stuck. And he, he actually dubbed me that. Nice. Do you remember any of your earlier, any of your like really early rhymes that made it? Uh, maybe into a video or a song or anything like that. Uh, early rhymes that made it into a song or video from back in the day. Um, yeah. uh, we had this song called the transit man. All right. And it was basically how like the transit man was racist. <laughs> <laughs> That's Cause we've been running for the bus, you know, you run for the bus and you get to the door and he just looks at you and be like, and you drive away. <laughs> That just used to happen to us all the time. So we made in up the Alberta? song. Alberta? That's weird. Yeah, yeah. And what was weird, right? Yeah, we but that, wait, that, that, that kissing of the lips, Roger, that's not a white guy doing that. Yeah, no. So we made this song <laughs> called Transit Man. Right? See how I avoided that one? See that? <laughs> transit Man. So Transit Man was like, the Transit Man can, the Transit Man can, uh, drive right by while he's waving his hand. <laughs> he wear a brown suit. He's the leader of the clan. He's the Transit Man. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that's back. That's back, back, back in the day, back in the day. Um, so ma- maximum definitive. How how did that get started? Was it just a collective, a bunch of? Was it just your buddies and you just doing shows? Yeah, it was just like I was a, a solo artist called. Uh, I was in this group called. Um, I can't remember what we used to call ourselves back then. It's, it's this duo. Then I turned into a, a solo artist, MC Mystic, and then. I used to hang around. We had like a little crew of three or four groups and I just kind of morphed into the maximum definitive because Justin Darp used to make all the beats and stuff. And then I'd be like, yo, look, I'm going to jump on this song and then I'd just jump on another one, jump on another one. And then I start doing the hooks and writing and thing and working together. And before you knew it, we had a whole collection of songs and Jungle Man was one of those songs, you know, and we released that, that video and just, that was it. Was that the one on Much Music? Like the yeah, that was yeah. the one they played a lot on Much Music. So, so tell me, like, how did how does that happen? 
for a hip hop group out of Edmonton that much music in Toronto finds your stuff? Well, so we found this video director. We were doing this show for like, uh, I think West Edmonton Mall or something like that, right? And we're doing this show and this big show. And uh, this video camera guy came up to us he's like, yo, you guys are really dope and blah, blah, blah. I wouldn't do a video for y'all. I'm like, okay, well, we don't got no money, but sure, right? So he applied video fact and all that stuff for this song, Jungle Man. Um, and we made the video in the Mutart Conservatory in Edmonton. Overnight, we did it. And... Uh, we sent it into much music and they just, they just started spinning it, man. It was like tribe mm. call quest and, and native tongues era. And I guess it just kind of fit into that, into the rap city and sold in the city and, and electric circus matrix. And before you knew it, man, that song just started spinning like crazy and people started requesting it and liking it. And then one day I got a call from uh, the, the producer of uh, electric circus and Denise Donlin called cause we were nominated for these awards and, I came to Toronto for two weeks and I never went back. I'm still here. <laughs> wow. Was it just you from the group that came or did the whole, did the whole gang come? No, in? the whole, the whole crew, the whole crew came in. Yeah. And so they're about to like drive back to Edmonton on the bus or something like that and go, they the went heck? back. I stayed. Yeah. Where the heck is like, was it, where is Roger? <laughs> <laughs> well, I called my mom's. I'm like, yo, I'm just going to stay. She freaked out. Um, How old were you? The- 17, man. I was like, just, just out of high school, you know, a little punk basically, you know? <laughs> wow. And uh, I just said, yeah, I'm just not going to go. What am I going to go back to Edmonton for? There's nothing there. There's no industry there. So I just stayed back and um, was just kind of politicking and building with people in the industry and getting to know everybody and then started writing with the, the basis base people and doing shows. It's kind of like a hype man with them. And then the hype man turned into like writing songs <laughs> with them and like performing vocals and then wrote Funkmobile and boom, all of a sudden I'm in this new group. What did your friends think back in the Oh, they were, really mad. they were really mad at me, actually. You know, retrospect, like I should have stayed in, in two groups, but you know, I'm young. I don't know how the game works. I don't know how the industry, <laughs> I felt like all this pressure, like I got to go. Through. So I ended up just kind of morphing over time into this basis base. And then it just ended up being that. And then I kind of just morphed out of the other thing, you know? Yeah. I have, to, I have to assume that consumed your time. I mean, that went big. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was, yeah, yeah. we were, you know, when we weren't rehearsing, we rehearsed a lot. When we weren't rehearsing, we were recording. If we weren't recording, we were promoting our gigs. We'd be on Queen Street handing out flyers and stickering all over the city and like crazy, you know. So uh, I think re- what really built our buzz is just being on Queen Street and just being around. And we used to busk and put stickers up we knew everybody in all the stores everybody on the street and it was just we were just kind of known as being around the streets and smashing the clubs you know and then yeah one thing led to another nice so when when funk mobile like you tell a story or i've heard you tell a story about when that song came out maybe you're not sure whether you guys have made it or you guys are big, you, you know, you, you, you're hanging around Queen Street, but you're, 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 you're walking along Young Street, I think it is. And, and tell me, like, you, you're hearing your song over and over and over again. Yeah, I think we're coming from a radio interview uh, at Ryerson, actually. I thought it was a rehearsal, but it's a radio interview from Ryerson. We're yeah. walking from Ryerson south down towards Queen Street because that was our home, basically. Okay, yeah. And uh, on the two blocks between like where where Dundas Square is now and yeah. Ryerson, 
block and a half. We heard that song like six times and it wasn't like the radio because they were playing at different points in the song, you know? And I was like, Jim, yo, this is like six cars just playing this song. Like what? I think we got a hit. Like this must be a hit. <laughs> and that, that was the first time I realized that, yo, we really, we legit had a hit, you know, it's just crazy. How, how long did the band stay together for? I know there were two albums. Uh, how long did we stay? I don't know, four or five years. Four or five something years? Like that, something like that. So when, when, when eventually you guys won Juno Awards, um, you guys are, are you guys traveling a lot? Like are you doing a lot of U.S. tours and stuff like yeah, that? Or We, we had signed um, the first co-venture deal with America, actually. We signed with A&M Polygram um, in Canada and co-venture with a label called Loose Cannon um, that was uh, through the universal and polygram, infrastru- polygram infrastructure at that time, right? And so we were touring uh, North America was, was our deal. You know, we were all over. The, the American team had us flying all over the place and uh, the Canadian team had us flying all over the place too. Who who'd you have a chance to share the stage with? Oh man, we played with like uh, James Brown, Busta Rhymes, the Marley family, the Fugees, TLC, Burton Cummings, Celine Dion. <laughs> that's um, that's a switch. You go you go from you go from some funk and hip hop to yeah, Celine Dion. <laughs> yeah, we opened up a, a string of dates with Burton Cummings, man. It was crazy. The Celine Dion thing was something for the Atlanta Olympics that we did. Oh wow! Um, yeah, yeah, it's cool, man. Like, yeah, every it's, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, Trap Called Quest. Um, it's a lot, a lot of people. Now there's Bare no Naked s- Ladies. We toured with Bare Naked Ladies for like sure. A yeah, I can see that. Something like that. Yeah, that was a lot of fun, man. Those guys are great. Yeah, yeah. Now there's no selfies back back in back in the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yo, I just found a picture with James Brown the other day, though. You're kidding me. Yeah, that no, was so dope, man. It's so crazy. I forgot. So how is it. like how is that? Yeah, like, amazing. you know, I'm sure your dad had James Brown record uh back oh, home. Yeah, for sure, yeah, James Brown record. So when when you have a chance to like I don't know whether you actually get to meet the guy. I guess you did because you, you have a photo with him. But like, what's that? <laughs> man, Kareem, you're quick. You're quick, Kareem. Yeah, Roger, you, normally, normally he just insults our guests. But every <laughs> once in a while, he compliments them to like another level. A whole other that, level. Yeah, I get that. I anyway, get that. sorry. Back over to you, buddy. Oh, I'm going to go now. <laughs> <laughs> but like, tell me, like, how how is that? Your mind must be blown. Yeah, my mind was blown, man. I got to tell you, you know, and it started from soundcheck. Uh, we're at Soundcheck, and that show was at Massey, uh, not Massey Hall, con- Concert Hall, Masonic Temple. Yeah. And so we pulled up for Soundcheck, and we were coming from some other shows, and uh, there was James Brown in the flesh rehearsing the band for Soundcheck. And what he would do every single, and you got to think like some of these players have been playing with him for like 20, 30 years. They know the material inside and out, right? And every night at soundcheck, he would rehearse a section of the band. So he would go in the back corner on the organ. He'd be playing organ and he'd rehearse all the singers. Boom. Like for an hour and a half, two hours, just harmonies. This, nope, do this again. Do it again. Nope. You screwed it up. I'm like, I'm thinking, man, this person knows the part. They've been singing this for 30 years, <laughs> but he's like, boom. and then the next day it would be the rhythm section. It would just be the drummer and him. Boom, boom. And he's testing them. And so a lot of the dancing you see, and I started to notice 
a lot of the dancing you see James Brown doing is actually signals and cues for the band. So he may do a move where he grabs the mic and goes like this. If he goes this way, it means this is the next song and you're going to be doing it on the downbeat of the next section. If he goes like this, it means we're going into the next cycle. So the horn shot thing comes in. Please, please. Like you go from 150 BPM down to 60 BPM on a drop of a beat and the whole band is locked. And he's just rehearsing them every single day. And uh, and then he finds them, right? He used to find them. So he'd be doing all these dance moves. He'd turn his back during the show. He'd turn his back to the audience and he'd be doing all these dance moves. And then he'd give like these finger signals or like he'd twitch his foot. And if the drummer missed the cue, I would see him because I watched all of those shows from side stage. Yeah. He would, he, you would see him go, one. That means one fine. (laughs) And then you test them again, boots to, and nobody's moving. Like the guy in the corner who's playing organ is like this (laughs) because, yo, he's got to see him at every, every point because everything is a cue. And if you miss the cue and then I watch him with the drummer again, he's like, okay, that's two. (laughs) So I asked the, 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 the musicians, I was like, yo, what's this thing he does where like he turns his back and he's like point. He's like, yo, he's telling us you're fined once, you're fined twice, you're fined three times. And he goes to another section. Just all during the show, the crowd has no idea. <laughs> I, I had, yeah. Yeah, and he's yeah. accumulating fines the whole show. <laughs> the whole show, bro. He just deducts it from the pay. So anyways, so it really was interesting in, in that at that level for so many years, the same band, same players for so many years, he's still reinforcing quality every single day like that. And wow. it was a real eye-opener, man. You, you know, I thought we were good. We're rehearsing eight hours a day, 10 hours a day, you know. But he's just, he's on them 24-7. <laughs> Dude, man, thank you so much for sharing that. That's an amazing yeah. story. It was an incredible experience, man. I got to tell you, that thing changed my life. You know, and I said, after those shows, I said, if I never do anything in music ever again, I'll go to sleep. I'm good. I'm I'm mm. straight, man. <laughs> That's James Brown, you know. <laughs> yeah, wow. That's phenomenal. Well, speaking about never playing music again, you break up after the second album. Um, the other bandmates continue to make music. You said, "That's it. I'm going to go learn how to be a chef." Not entirely like, true. Not entirely true. Okay, okay. Um, I was releasing some independent records, vinyl. I was licensing some music to the UK. Some okay. people would call me every now and then to help them out with some movie stuff. And so I was doing some stuff like that, odds and ends, but not like hot and heavy because um, I was really sort of uh, disgruntled with just the, the industry of music, you know, not the creativity, but the industry. What was it about the industry? <clears throat> Uh, it's really it's like slavery, bro. It's like slavery. <laughs> you know, it's like um, the the whole industry begins with the art. Mm-hmm. There's no industry without the craft, right? Sure. But the business of the industry, the craft is at the the last choo choo on the train, right? And so I would look at this and go, "Well, this this doesn't make sense." <laughs> not making any sense whatsoever and we at a and r guys back then would tell us well y'all are young you don't have kids yet what does it matter <laughs> we're like 
yo, but like it's popping, you know, things going like what, what, what's given here? You know what I mean? Yeah. But you know, the, the industry is pretty crazy industry, man. <clears throat> wow. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, do you still keep your Juno? Like, is it on a, on a shelf? Do you show it to your kids and tell them uh, your you dad is cool? Funny. Over the years, I've collected like, and this is not like I'm not bragging, right? But just over the years, I accumulated several awards from from music and cooking. Yeah, and uh, they're in a box somewhere <laughs> in the corner of the basement. I had to dig one out the other day to for something. Oh, I, I catered the Junos a few years back, and wow. they wanted a picture of my Juno. And me, because I, you know, I have a Juno and I'm catering the Junos now, right? So it's like, oh, we want to see the Juno. So I had to find the Juno. So I had to like go through all these boxes in the basement. And so yeah, all my awards are in a couple boxes buried in the basement somewhere. And wow. for a while I used it as a doorstop and stuff like that. That's crazy. But listen, before we get to talk more about uh about food, um Damn, Greg, you you just dis- you distracted me with your notes here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Greg, you're messing them up, bro. You're messing me I up. Know. Greg, go ahead with the food. <laughs> no, no, I was I was gonna say like so so you mentioned about you know catering the Junos and that it's like you know wait how- no time out I figured it out. <laughs> With you being on TV. Yeah. Uh, like, are you, do you, do your kids know you're cool? Do they think you're cool? Or are you just, <laughs> are you just dad with the bad dad jokes? Like who is Roger at home? Uh, at home. Um, so my kids don't, they don't really care. You know, this is all they know. All they know okay. is me being on TV and making records. And uh, now, now they realize that not everybody's, parent is on tv or not everybody's dad makes records or like does interviews all the time or like you know stuff like that so i guess now they they uh understand that a little bit better that it's a a, i guess an unusual career path Mm. um but at the end of the day yo they just yo what's for dinner yo i don't like that (laughs) (laughs) can we have this instead yo can i have some candy you know it's like let's go snow let's go sledding you want to go sledding like you know just i'm just their dad right they don't care man what do they think of that uh that iced toffee that you made the was it yesterday oh the maple syrup maple syrup Yeah. yeah So peep this, right? Uh, when I was living in Edmonton, I had a friend who moved, new friend who moved from Quebec to Edmonton. Yeah. Love, sorry for that, man. But anyways, they did that. And so one day is <laughs> like really cold day in Edmonton, like most days in Edmonton. <laughs> and uh, his dad packed this snow in this little barrel thing and did the maple syrup and he did it. And I tried it. I was like, what is this thing? It's blowing my mind right now. So a couple of years ago, we took our kids to Quebec. I was doing a job out there and they piggybacked and they came out and I took them to the market and they were doing the same thing with the snow and the, and the maple syrup. Right. So I introduced them to that and that blew their mind. And ever since that, two years ago, they've been asking, yo, can we do that? The maple toffee? Can we do the maple toffee? And it, up until this last snow day, I've never been home at a time when it snowed enough to do it and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Until yesterday's snow yeah. day. So they were like, yo, can we do the thing? Let's do the thing. I'm like, okay. okay we'll do the thing. We'll do the thing. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Good segue awesome. into food. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, actually, you know what? You know what the funny thing is, 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 is his, his question that he interrupted me for will actually fit better later, but that's fine. That's totally fine. Oh it's not on his game today. That's fine. Anyway, no. So where, what I wanted to go next was along the culinary line. So like, how, how do you, I mean, recognizing your family history, you know, in yeah. terms of your parents and your grandfather and that, like, how, how do you make that shift from the music industry into the culinary world? I went to culinary school, man. Yeah. I went George Brown, George Brown, George Brown college. I went, I did culinary management. Um, and I worked full-time in a restaurant and went to school full-time and I just focused on cooking. Mm. Not, I didn't, people were calling me for making records. I was like, Nope, I'm cooking right now, man. Yeah, because I was working full time, eight hours a day, and then doing school eight ten hours a day. Right, I get up like four thirty in the morning to get to school for like five thirty a.m. classes, do classes all day till about four, and then I go work in the restaurant for four thirty five o'clock shift, and I would stay there till about one in the morning, and then I go do wake up at you know in the morning again, go to school, and I did that straight for two years, no days off, and just. I just focused, man. I just dedicated. Good for you. And no secret, you. you know, just just grinding, man. <laughs> so when, fast forward, when you don't have and, talent, you got to work hard. So that's what I. Because <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I mean, fast forward from there, and this is where I start to geek out. Yeah. What was it like going head to head against Chef Simon? I can't even. I can't even fathom that. Oh man, it was so intimidating. You know. The Iron Chef is like the Olympics of chefing, right? Yeah. It's one of the Olympics of chefing. There's actually a couple Buku's Door is another one, but that's a very specific kind of French culinary thing. That's a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but Iron Chef was like the Olympics. So, you know, I got the call one day to do the Olympics, you know? So I was like, whoa. And he's like, look, you could either judge or you could compete. You have 24 mm, you hours have to decide. Wow. Yeah, yeah, you have 24 hours to decide, but we need to yeah. know. And so I was like... I mean, what are the time you're going to have to chance yeah. to do the Olympics? You know, so I was like, yo, let's, I'm going to compete. And yeah, it's very intimidating. Simon is no joke, man. That guy is no jiggy joke and uh, is really a lot harder than it looks. And it looks hard. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Wait, um, so hold on. Don't leave me hanging. What? I don't watch yeah. these shows, Roger. I apologize. But what happened? <laughs> You got to watch it, bro. It's on oh, YouTube, dude, man. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure it's somewhere for you to see, bro. I got I hot dogs. I, Imagine I yeah, went on I Iron say, Chef and I got hot dogs was the I secret don't. ingredient. I was like, bro, oh. I'm on Iron Chef and you give me hot dogs? Like, come on. <laughs> Jeez, Lord. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, one of the, it one wasn't of the even shows a truffle also... hot dog. You know, it's not even like oh, a no? truffle hot dog. Well, you could. Hot dogs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's true. I guess um so so one of your other or one, one of many shows that you've done heat seekers with yeah. uh chef sanchez yeah um of course chef sanchez being put with uh chef costatino for chef versus city and i remember a few years ago um listening to i don't know if it was a speech a, it was but it was a it was a, a recording of chef Costantino talking about the impact of of being a celebrity chef and you know television food reality TV on his health 
right? It was a gut wrenching, and that's uh, that, that I shouldn't use that term because I don't mean to be. Yeah, I understand. I yeah. But like it, like it really <laughs> impacted his health. Um, any any thoughts on that? Any like, if you're comfortable, of course. I don't like if you're not comfortable with sharing thoughts. But any thoughts on sort of the impact that that has on some people because you're just keep trying to ramp it up. Are you talking about heat seekers specifically or just no, no, I'm thinking about more with, with, um, what Chris Costantino shared in terms of his personal health and the issues that he had because on chef versus city, it was all about, you know, he was always the one that had to do the extreme foods right? right and it right. really took a hit or he took a hit on his, his gut health. Yeah, yeah, no, there's there's some challenges like that for sure. You know, we're doing a show Heat Seekers where we're eating hot yeah. chilies like on mass, you know. So yeah. uh yeah, there there was some interesting moments around that. And you know, uh it is what it is. We, we didn't do it for too long. How's that? Why here's a question from a non-foodie. Um why are these food shows so popular? Uh, because they have great hosts. <laughs> uh, why? You know, food is just primal, you know? So yeah. there's just, there's that about it. That just is instinct primal urge, right? So I think that that's part of it. I think also a big part of it and why people are attracted to music and artists is people love to be around people who are passionate about what they do. So as a viewer, you get a, a, a an insight, a peek into the world of some really passionate, creative people who are happen to be cooking food as chefs. And you get to learn about them, see how their mind operates. You know, if they're presented with like certain ingredients in a cooking challenge, uh, how, how did they react in that environment? And, and then you instinctively also think if I was doing this, what would I have done? So you now get to place yourself in the environment of these people that you may or may not admire. Right. So it's, it's kind of like this mix of this primal thing with this being around passionate people and envisioning yourself in their shoes. Right. And -hmm. I think those three coming together are just our very powerful trifecta. And then you add really gracious, handsome, beautiful hosts who are really funny and clever, and it's over. <laughs> yes, Roger. Yes, Roger. <laughs> that was a joke. Um, how do you like? I'm sure that there's something about you know the entertainer in you, um, yeah. the the MC in you that. It just makes sense that Roger goes from just just being a chef to being a celebrity chef, right? It's, you know, looking back, people see, I get it. It makes sense. But I don't know, was that, is that something that you had always thought about as you started in that space that mm-hmm. I'm going to have a, t- I'm going to figure out how to combine entertainment and food? Or was it just the love of the craft of cooking and feeding people that drove you? You know, I really railed against it for a long time because when I started in cooking school, it was right around the time Food Network was just launching in Canada, right? And really, funnily enough, they used to film all of those early shows about a block and a half from the restaurant where I was then just currently the new uh, head chef, right? Mm. And so every maybe two, three times a week, 
the Food Network team, because they were launching Food Network, they were working like 16 hours a day. They weren't about to go home and cook. So they would just pop in, get some food at a restaurant. And because we were literally around the corner, like a block and a half around the corner, they used to come to my restaurant all the time. Like I said, two, three times a week. And so they would eat and I, and I would always like, just go walk through the restaurant, say what's up to people and blah, blah, blah. So I just knew them as Holly and Tanya for years, like couple mm. for a couple years. And then one day they said, Hey, do you know, we work at the food network. And to be honest, I had resolved. I just wanted a simple life, man. I had done like performing and being like a public figure. And I was like, I don't want, I'm over it. I don't want, I just want to be anonymous, cook my food, go home <laughs> to my girlfriend and wake up and it's just simple. Right. And then, so they said, yo, it's Holly and Tanya. Did you know we work for the food network? And I'm like, no, that's cool. And you like that job? Okay, cool. Right. And they're like, look, we're looking for some new hosts and we're here all the time. You're really friendly and you don't harass us. Like, are you interested in that? I'm like, well, not really, but uh, you know, y'all are cool. So I'll talk to you, you know? Mm-hmm. So they're like, look, come and have this uh, audition. So, and the audition was, like I said, was a block and a half around the corner. And apparently you're supposed to show up with like, whatever ingredient um, that you think defines you, right? And you have to go and make an omelet. Everybody had to make an omelet. So I wasn't wildly interested. So I didn't show up with any ingredient. I was like in shorts. and (laughs) (laughs) So I did this, I cooked my omelet and blah, 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 blah. And I don't remember this, but the food stylist on set was like, um, okay, so you make the omelet and then you can serve it to your date with, with the... With the, uh, what did I say? I can't even remember now. Anyways, so I made this omelet and I put it up and they were like, okay, cool. All right, I cracked some jokes. They're like, oh, that's fun, blah, 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 blah. And then they called me back and they said, look, we're doing these couple show concepts. If you are interested, um, here's this concept. I'm like, yeah, it's not a good concept, but thanks. You know, I, I don't, I think that's not good. So they looked at me like, what the hell, right? And so- they went away. A couple of weeks later, they're like, oh, yo, we got this other show concept. Does this interest you? I'm like, no, nah, it's not a good idea. I'm not into that idea, right? So that happened about three, four times, and they just stopped calling me, right? They're like, who's this guy? Then I opened a restaurant in, uh, on King Street called Culture. It was like a big, splashy restaurant. And um, I walk in through the dining room one day, and there's Holly and Tanya again, right? This is like a couple of years later now. They're like, yo, what are you doing here? I'm like, what are you doing here? This is my restaurant, right? <clears throat> so they're like, oh, nice to see you again. This food is so good, blah, 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 right? And they're like, look, you know, I'm glad you didn't do those shows because they didn't pan out well, but we're doing things a little different now if you want to talk. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, I still like them. They're still cool. So I was like, let's, let's talk to them. So we started kicking in and boom, boom, boom. A couple of years later, we launched this show called Everyday Exotic. And there you go. Yeah, that's basically how I did. But I was very reluctant. I was not trying to do that. I guess the the the, the skills I, I learned being a performer for stage and music yeah. for so many years, I employed a lot of those tactics subconsciously when I went into this food television landscape. Yeah. Um, but it definitely was not some master plan, to be honest. It was just the universe kind of just put it all before me, you know? That's, that's interesting because I feel, I feel the same way in, in business now, like being a musician from back in the 80s and 90s and, you know, now in business and I, I, I speak at conferences and same sort of thing. I, I, I channel up all that energy and the nerves 
And I just, mm. I bundle it up and I wrap it up into here and I would step on a stage at a conference and go, boom. boom. Yeah. Right. Just channel that and go, boom. Yeah. Cause you know, subconscious, as soon as you see a crowd, it, it just, yeah. it's, there you go. Boom. It's on. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Um, so you've just opened up, not just, but a bit ago, Twist. Yeah. Um, by Roger Mooking at Pearson. Um, airport food. And, and again, I'm not saying it's airport food. But, um, but it's airport inter- food. Yeah. No, it's but, but it's interesting. Can you tell yeah. us a bit about what you've you've done there? That's- uh, you know, so we started at Twist like six years ago, I think now is when we opened the doors. Um, okay. But prior to that, if you, uh, you know, if you're a touring musician, you know, you're going through the airports and it was just like hamburgers, French yeah. fries. If you're lucky, you may get like a Caesar salad. Um, but it was basically just like stuff coming out of a bag from the freezer and they would just reheat that joint and put on your plate. Right. So um, the airports realized Pearson realized that they, you know, they got to step their game up with that. And they put the word out to their food and beverage suppliers that, you know, we want to bring in some of these people. And that's kind of how that started. Um, I was on that list. And then, so my concept going into there was, my main objective, I took over this, this brand, the space that I took over was this well-known brand that did a lot of hamburgers and fries. And my main objective, I, I said, first thing, I want to see what your sales mix is. <clears throat> and like 90% of the sales were hamburger fries. Then below that was some other kind of mundane thing similar to that, right? And I said, yo, my goal going into this project is to make the burger and fries like the number eight selling item. I'm going to sell people everything else under the sun. So now we do like Thai style beef curry is one of our highest selling items. We sell vegan tacos, which is one of our highest selling items. We sell twist fried chicken, which is the number one item. Um, And the burgers are like down like seven and eight, you know? Mm. So, and because an interesting thing in an airport is that you're servicing every kind of clientele under the sun. Like for instance, if I open a steakhouse, I can pretty much guarantee the type of clientele that I'm going to get. 75% of the clientele is going to fit in a very specific box, right? And I can create the food around that box. I can market to that box and I can pinpoint my customer to that box and feed that sweet spot. In an airport, I have everything from a five-year-old kid who is a vegan to an 85-year-old kid who wants a, a steak, you know? And so everything under the sun is coming through the airport. So the trick is to create a menu that you can actually function and service out of a reasonably small kitchen because they tend to be small um, and service all these people without having a hundred uh, menu uh, items on your menu, right? So that was really the trick of it. And, you know, we serve fresh food from scratch, prepared fresh raw ingredients every single day. Uh, I, actually, the first thing I did when we we're redesigning that restaurant was I ripped out the freezer. So the, there's no freezer in the in the kitchen except wow. a very small ch- freezer under the counter that has two shelves, and we have some ice cream in there and some frozen grapes that go on a salad. That's nuts. Nice. They, thought, they thought I was nuts when I said I'm sure. about the freezer. They were like, "What?" <laughs> that's our lifeblood you know it's like yo we gotta change it right where are you gonna put the food yeah right so roger we have a we have a segment called lost venues uh yeah. where we we ask our guests to uh 
to tell us a story about a gig at a place that no longer exists. So, so Roger, what's what's your lost venue? There was a club in Edmonton called the Bronx. It was like in between a couple buildings. You go down this narrow alley and there was these cement steps. It looked like this disheveled warehouse kind of thing in, in downtown uh, Edmonton. Mm-hmm. And you walk in, you go in and you go up and down these steps even further down. And it was like this dungeonous cavern, all black, really dark and dingy. You don't want to touch the walls because it's like sneaky D's in there. <laughs> Actually, it's like the bathroom of sneaky D's in there. Oh, yeah. And um, yeah, so the Bronx, man, that place was crazy. And I remember one time we've played there. We played there a few times as Maximum Definitive. But I remember one show we were opening up for the Dream Warriors. And the night before, there was a show by Guar. You know Guar? Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, so Guar had played the night before, and they still had, like, blood dripping from the ceiling and, like, blood stuff all over the floor still and on the walls. And so we walked in there. We're like, yo, we know the Bronx is grimy, but what the hell happened here last night? (laughs) And they're like, yo, Guar played. And I'm like, who's Guar? And then they started telling me about Guar and the costumes. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. And, um... then we that that night we opened for the Dream Warriors, you know. Nice. Wow. Dream Warriors. Yeah, yeah, it's a great show. So, Roger, let's um, let's play one of your songs. So, from Edibles, uh, feel good. Yeah, man. Talk talk to us about uh, about that song. What's it about, and how did it come to be? You know, one day I was uh, feeling just really frustrated, man. I just about everything under the sun. This was pre pre COVID <clears throat> feeling really, really frustrated. So I'm like, yo, I'm going to jump in my car. I'm going to go to the ravine and go for a walk under the bridge. So I went for a walk. I had a notepad with me. I don't know why I know. I'm just very odd for me to walk around with a notepad, but anyways, I had a notepad and a paper and I walked to the end of the trail and there was nothing there. So I walked up into the woods, up onto the top of this hill. And I sat on the top of this hill in the middle of the woods on this tree stump, looking down at the river at the end of the trail, like nobody's going there. And then a song just came into my head. This just came into my head. And it was, I was so frustrated that day. And I just said, I just want to feel good. Mm. What do I got to do to feel good? You know? And then the lyrics just started. So much going on in the world today. I stare in the mirror of the world. What a world to face. Like it's, this was just pure frustration. I was just releasing it. And I just kept going, kept going, kept going. And I had made this beat. Uh, one of those beats that I heard in my sleep. I actually made the beat. And I, I had it in my headphones and I was walking around. So I just started writing to this beat up on this hill. And I sat there in the woods by myself and I wrote all the lyrics to the song and then a few days later, I went and I recorded it. And that what you hear is just what it is. It's just pure frustration, but hope and optimism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just the frustration of it, man, just coming out. And I just, I just want to feel good. And so funnily enough, here we are in this time. I released this album now coming out of post. This Not even post. We're in the middle of COVID still. It's hot and, high, hot and heavier Hopefully than ever. Soon. And everybody is frustrated and depressed and you know do want to go to work they don't want to go to work they want to put their kids in school they don't want to put their kids in school like it's just this crazy era we're in right now and so i was like yo let's drop this thing and 
put out feel good as the lead because I think everybody's at that point where they're like, fuck it. I just want to feel good. Yeah. <laughs> you know? This is For what it sure. is, man. Yeah. Awesome. From his new EP edibles. This is Roger Mooking with feel good. Greg, this oh. is where you insert it right here. Like, yes, <laughs> thanks buddy. Right here, right? I'll make sure I do. <laughs> I know. I, I know I miss it every time, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so much going on in the world today. So much going on in the world today. I stare in the mirror with a world of this. They do it all of this at a world in pain. Who the fuck said I gotta join the race? Who the fuck said? Uh-huh. See, today I woke up and I had enough. Admitted to myself cause I'm man enough. Face so sour but I'm mad at what? The sun's so gold that I had to touch. And the landlord calling, he want the rent. My baby calling up, just born a vet. My last damn nerve is gone again. Tomorrow this gonna happen all again. Damn, fuck it, I just wanna feel good. Deliver me the real good. Real good, real good. I wanna feel good. Feel good. I'm talking real good. Man, I'm feeling really good about my life today. I'm feeling really good about my life. The trouble in the world, feel a world away. I'm gonna turn up my mood again. I think I wanna turn up my mood. But today I woke up and I had a touch. Maybe looking good, so I grabbed the butt. Smile and a wink, then I bag it up. Now that's the kind of way that you start the day. Still a landlord call and he wants the rent. I hung the phone up, man, it's all respect. See, nothing gonna get on my nerve again. Tomorrow this gonna happen all again. All because I said, fuck it, I just wanna feel good. Deliver me the real good. I wanna feel good. I'm talking real good. What we gonna do? Roger, thanks for that. Thanks for sharing that yeah, with us. Yeah, thank you. I uh, really thank appreciate you. it. Um, so my wife, who's a teacher librarian. Oh, cool. And is a That's huge a cool fan job. of Canada Reads. Oh, amazing. We were talking about why did you champion Butter Honey Pig Bread? It's one of the best books I've ever read in my life. Flat out, straight up. That's it. That's what it came down to. What, um, what I, read, I read a lot of different kind of books. Like I read a lot of like... Uh, sociology. I read a lot about uh, science and spirituality and cooking stuff, like music, biography. I read like a gamut of stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and I read this book and it 
just hit me so hard, man. I never cried so much reading a book. Wow. I never laughed so much reading a book. I never felt every human emotion reading this book. And it was just easy to champion. I, I went in going, look, I'm just going to pick the best book. And it just was so easy to champion because I truly felt it was one of the best things I've ever read in my entire life. Like wow. Francesca Equiasi is like, uh, whew, she's a beast, man. She just is so smart, so gentle, kind, loving. She puts her whole soul into it. Very thoughtful, very dynamic. Um, and just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful prose, man. And just so many things that stuck with me from that book, like parts of my own life experiences. Um, I relate to directly in that book, so many life experiences and like just devastating things um, I've lived through in that book. And just, I've never read that put in that, that situation put in, in any form, in a way that I've read and understood like that, you know, and she says in that book, you are bigger than you can even imagine. <laughs> Ooh, it's just beautiful sentiments all over that book, man. So as soon as I read that one, I read a bunch after it, but I knew it was just wasting my time. <laughs> it was like, you know, you get a beloved Toni Morrison once a generation kind of thing. And mm. I really felt it was is that powerful, you know? Went on to Long become one of the top top selling books in all of Canada last year. It should be one of the best selling books in the world. Wow. Yeah, Thank if you. you've never read it, please read it. It's, it's majestic. Yeah, my wife right. loved it. Kelly, Kelly loved it. Um, so before we wrap it up, one of the questions I always like to ask our guests is, what's in your earbuds lately? What are you listening to that people should be checking out? Yo, I like this kid, Corday. He's out of the, the West Coast. He's out of California, C-O-R-D-A-E. Um, really incredible kid, man. It's MC, really, really good. I've uh, been peeping like Snow Allegra. She's really dope. Um, I've been listening to a bunch of podcasts. I like podcasts. I listen to a lot of that. Um, what else am I listening to? Um, what else just came out that I'm really, really peeping? Yo, I'm really loving what Royce the Five Nine is doing these days. I think he's doing the best music of his career right now. Hmm. Just really, really incredible. His music right now is just stupid, man. Anything he's putting out is just ridiculous. Um, so yeah, those are kind of I love this kid JID. He's from um, the J Cole's camp. JID is just stupid, man. <laughs> I still love I still love rappers and rapping, man. Like. Just rapping is like the most fun thing. Have you ever rapped? It's the most fun thing to do ever. <laughs> it's so fun. It's so fun, man. So I really appreciate rappers who rap really good and um, just inspires me still. You know, I'm this dude and just wake up with songs in my head, but I'm inspired by just so much music, man. It's so, so much good stuff. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Roger, thank you so much. For your time, we really appreciate it. Um, thanks so much for telling us some great stories uh, nice. as as well. Roger Mooking has been our guest. His latest EP is called Edibles. Uh, Roger, if people want to check out the music, um, where's the best place for them to go? 
It's on all streaming. It's on all streaming. So you go to all the streaming. I don't know Amazon Prime, Apple, everything, Spotify, all them things. It's all there. Awesome. Thanks again, buddy. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Thank you, Greg. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate your support. It means a lot. Thank you. 